Welcome to Meadowbrook Church, leading people into the Christ-centered life. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. Thank you, worship team. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 today. You can meet me there in your Bible or on your phone or on your tablet. 1 Corinthians 3, if you need a Bible, there's a Bible on the pew in front of you, and it's page 1144 in that Bible. We are at the end of our series. Today we are wrapping up our Living for Eternity series. Uh, Some of you have quite candidly shared with me you haven't cared for this series a whole lot, and I fully acknowledge uh, this has not been a light, fluffy, easy series by any means, and yet uh, I believe it's really important. I think the part of the premise of this whole thing is we don't talk about eternity enough, and we don't think about it enough. We spend most of our time and energy focusing just on the here and now, and the premise has been if eternity is something that God has offered to us, a place without death and without fear, and without heartbreak, and if that is available, then we want it. And if that is the place that we are going to spend most of our existence, then how are we living this life with that in mind? How are we living with an eternal mindset? And our challenge from 2 Peter 3.11 has been, what kind of people ought we be in light of eternity? What is that going to mean for how we live our lives here on earth? And so we are wrapping this up today, which will be good news for some of you, apparently. Back a couple of centuries before Jesus walked the earth, uh, there emerged what was called the Seven Wonders of the Ancient World. I'm sure you've heard of them. These were technological marvels at the time. There was the pyramids, which are still there today, the Colossus of Rhodes, the Lighthouse of Alexandria, and all these different places around kind of the Mediterranean area, and they were uh, just incredible, beautiful, ornate things. The equivalent of billions of dollars went into their construction. And they were there, and they were technological feats. They were architectural marvels. And if you were wealthy, that became kind of the trendy thing to go. It was like your bucket list to check off all seven that you got to go visit if you had the means to travel around. And so they were kind of the highlights of what we could accomplish at that time in terms of architecture, in terms of engineering, in terms of design, in terms of creating these beautiful, incredible works of art that people from all over the world would come to experience. And other than the pyramids, every single one of them is gone now. Every single one of them is dust. Some of them were destroyed in earthquakes. Some of them were destroyed in warfare, and they were plundered. Some of them uh, were burned down to the ground by arsonists and different things. But every single one of them is gone except for the pyramids. It turns out when you build something that's just a big block of bricks, basically, uh, it's kind of earthquake-proof, and so it lasts. And no one wants to to blow it up in a war, apparently. So the pyramids are still there, although apparently they look very different than they did back then. They were all white back then and overlaid with stone and different things. And so all of these great, incredible, beautiful architectural marvels are all gone. And all we have left are drawings and accounts and written testimonies of people who visited. And that's not that shocking, because that's a couple thousand years ago. There aren't really any buildings from a couple thousand years ago that are still here today. And any buildings that we've built today, a couple thousand years from now, if we're all still here and Jesus hasn't returned, they'll probably be gone. Uh, If your house is still here in 2,000 years, congratulations. That was a well-built house. And so these things crumble over time because they are temporary. 
And really, that has been part of what we've been trying to focus on throughout this series, is that uh, this life we live is temporary. If we live to be 120 years old, which is about the max that a human can live on this earth at this point, it's still a temporary life. And even that long earthly life of 120 years is still just a drop in the bucket compared to the eons of eternity, where there really is no sense of time. It is just eternal. It is just forever. And someone said to me last week that they have found this series a little bit depressing. And I went, oh, that's the exact opposite of what I was going for in this thing. Because eternity is where we put our hope. Eternity is where our faith leads us. Eternity is where we say God has created a kingdom for us. This life we live where there is warfare and heartbreak and cancer and all of these terrible things was not what he intended for us. And so there is a better place for us that was intended for us. And Jesus invites anyone who wants to, to come there with him. And we live this life here on earth, hopefully more and more with that in mind. And we understand that as we look to eternity, that we take the long view of this life and we understand Jesus is coming back and we don't know when that is. And even if he doesn't come back uh, in the next 10 minutes, we don't know where our life will go, right? Because our life is in his hands and at any time we could be called home. And we know that there will be a judgment, and we know that our lives will be presented before him, and we know that what we did with our lives will be judged, and how we are judged will have an effect on our standing in eternity somehow. There is talk of eternal reward or not. There's talk of seats of honor or not. And what we do with this life will determine what our eternity is like. And so as we look at our text, let's keep that in mind as we get ready to wrap the series up today. Let's take a look. 1 Corinthians 3, we're starting in verse 10. The Apostle Paul is talking. He says, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. So we started off this series actually talking about fire, the day of the Lord, the day when Jesus returns. It's the day, capital D, that Paul is talking about in this passage, that there will be a day when we see Jesus face to face, and whether that's when he returns or when we go to be with him, either way we will see him and we will stand before him, and our lives will be judged based on what we did here on earth. And the picture that is used here is that we have been creating a building of some sort with our lives. And when the Lord returns with fire, that fire is going to test what we built. And the question is, will what you've built survive the fire or will it go up in smoke? And we're going to unpack that a little bit today. The premise is that we are all building something with our lives. What does that mean? Well, it's a metaphor, obviously. But with what we are doing with our lives, we are building something. Our lives are building a legacy that will be tested with fire. We are building it with the things that we say. We are building it with the things that we do. We're building it with the way we treat other people. We're building it with the secret motivations of our heart. We're building it with our thoughts. We are all building something. 
every day of our lives. And the question is, what are we building? And when we stand before the Lord, is what we've built something that will last into eternity? Paul brings it back to Jesus, as he so often does, and as any preacher should, uh, brings it back to Jesus, the Christ foundation. He says, no one can lay a foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, he starts off saying, I have laid the foundation of this church in the sense of Paul was the one who started the church at Corinth. But he very quickly says, but we all know the real foundation here is Jesus. Jesus is the foundation of this church. And as followers of Jesus, that is hopefully where we are at in our perspective, is that Jesus is the foundation for our lives. That everything he taught and everything he did is something that we are looking to build our lives upon. That we look to the Gospels and we look to what he told us and we look to his example and we say, I want my life to look like that more and more. As followers of Jesus, I want my life built on this solid foundation, and it's a foundation that I have put my hope in Jesus, I have put my trust in him, and because that foundation is solid, I can stand on it securely, and if the earthquakes of life and the storms of life come, my foundation is secure because I've built my life upon Jesus and his cross and his resurrection and what he has done for me. My foundation is there. And so the Apostle Paul acknowledges it's all about Jesus. And I mentioned earlier, we are an Anabaptist church. That's our particular stream of Christianity. It's not the right one necessarily by any means. We honor anyone who calls Jesus Lord. We happen to be Anabaptist. And one of the great marks of Anabaptism has always been we are all about Jesus. And that might sound pretty straightforward, but not every other stream emphasizes that in quite the same way. We say we're all about Jesus. Whatever we're doing, Jesus is at the center, and that's even our mission statement as a church. We want to lead people into the Christ-centered life, that more and more Jesus would be central in everything we do and everything we think and everything we say. There's the old joke about what's the right answer to every Sunday school question? Right. And there is some truth there, not literally, but there is some truth there just in the sense of we would say, yes, like we always want to bring it back to Jesus. Whatever we're talking about, let's bring it back to Jesus. Sarah and I, there's a running joke in our marriage since even when we were dating where she would say, what are you preaching on this Sunday? And I always just answer, Jesus. She laughs. It's always hilarious every week. She still loves it years later. And... Of course, we're not necessarily literally just talking about Jesus every week, but we are always trying to bring it back there. Whatever we're talking about, we're bringing it back to Jesus. That old thing of WWJD, what would Jesus do, is still a good question for us to ask. What would Jesus do? How would Jesus respond in this situation? How would Jesus treat this person? Uh, and that became sort of an overblown marketing thing. But that's still, if we're followers of Jesus, we can ask that question. And go, how would I respond if Jesus were right here with me? How would I respond in a way that would please him? Um, we are looking to live with Jesus at the center. 1 John 2, 6 says, Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. It's one of my favorite verses, uh, and it's challenging every time. Because it suggests some might claim to live in Jesus who aren't actually. Some might claim to be Christians and call themselves Christians who aren't. 
And it takes away any notion that I'm a Christian because I grew up as one, or I'm a Christian because my parents were, or even I'm a Christian because I come to church. It takes away all of that. It says, no, you are a Christian, which just means a follower of Jesus. You are a follower of Jesus when you're actually following Jesus. You're a follower of Jesus when you're actually living as he did. And nobody does that perfectly. Absolutely not. And yet, if you're calling yourself a follower of Jesus, we would expect that that is the goal. That we are more and more saying, Lord, I want to be more like you. And what have you taught us? And how do I live the way you lived? And how do I love the way that you loved? And how do I be the way that you were when you walked on this earth? Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. It's not just a matter of talk or saying the right things. It's about living it out in real life, in real situations. And as we talked about with the nonviolence issue earlier, uh, that's not always easy in real life. Sometimes the principles of Jesus are very easy on paper, and they make a lot of sense, but the living them out is not always as easy. And the good news is that's why God puts us in a church, because I don't need to figure it all out myself. If I'm struggling with how to apply the teachings of Jesus, I sit down with Wes and Leah, and I say, here's the scripture, here's my situation, what do you guys think? And together we can wrestle through these things and pray through these things and help each other figure this stuff out. So in light of eternity, we are building our lives on the Jesus foundation. Everything he taught, everything he did, his cross and his resurrection, we are standing upon that solid and secure rock. And as we do that, we are looking to build what will last with our lives, with our words, with our deeds, with everything that we're doing, whatever we are building our lives with that will be presented before God. We're looking to build something that will last. Verse 12, if anyone builds on this foundation, the Jesus foundation, using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day, the day of the Lord, the day we see Jesus, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. And so whatever we are building our lives with is going to be exposed. And metaphorically, of course, but fire will come to it, and we will see what did we do with our lives. Were we building with the right things? Even if we trust in Jesus, were we building with the right things? Our clock up there just went crazy wonky, so I have no idea what time it is. So if we start to get close to the end, someone wave at me, okay? Because I'll just keep talking and talking and talking. We are building our lives with something. And there's this kind of picture given of wood, hay, straw, that kind of thing. And then there's gold and silver and stones on the other side. And there's, there's obviously kind of a dividing line. So in terms of what are we building our lives with, there are heavenly things, gold, silver, stones. When scripture talks about heaven, those things are there. God's throne is covered with those things. Are we building our lives with heavenly things or are we building our lives with common things? Right? If we were to say what's harder to get, gold, silver, stones, that's the harder one to get. And there's a lot of common things. There's a lot of hay in Essex County. That wouldn't be that hard to find. But what are we building our lives with? Are we choosing the heavenly, costlier things? Are we building our lives with heavenly things? Are we living out heavenly values? Are we speaking out heavenly words? Are we being transformed by heaven's power more and more? Or are we living the more common life that you can find anywhere that most of the world lives? And as Christians, we are supposed to be different. 
We are supposed to be marked. The word that the Bible uses all the time is holy. And there's a lot of implications to that word. But in its most basic form, holy just means different. Different than the other things. Different than the common things. And so to be holy is to say, I'm not like the rest. I am different. And we often think about holiness when we say Christians should be holy. It's sometimes got the stereotype of, well, that means they should, you know, be more serious and have less fun because they're doing less worldly things. And that shouldn't be the fullness of what that word means for us. Of course, there are certain things we shouldn't do as Christ followers, but I think to be holy also means we should be the most loving people on the planet. We should be the most joyful people on the planet. We should be the most peaceful people on the planet. We should be the most generous people on the planet. Let those things mark us as different. And as we do those things, we are building our lives with heavenly things, with heavenly values, with heavenly priorities, and not just the common. So when Paul points out the different building material we can use in our lives, that's one side of it. There's heavenly material we can build with, and then there's common material. There's also uh, difficult material to obtain and easy material to obtain, right? If we needed some hay, we could go to the Rassicos farm. I was up there a couple weeks ago. I saw the hay. There's lots there. If we wanted to build a house out of hay, we could just go to their farm, and there's probably 27 farms in between here and there where we could find some hay and build something. If I was to say, let's build a house of gold, who knows how to find gold in the ground? Who knows how to dig a shaft and mine it and refine it? Do we know how to do that in this room? Some of Ron Bartel probably does, I'm guessing. Right, like some of those materials are easy. Some of those materials are really hard to get. Costly stones. Some of those materials are costly to get. And sometimes to follow in the way of Jesus, we're brought to these decision points where am I going to take the easy road or am I going to take the hard road? Right? The easy road is obviously easiest. The Jesus road is sometimes harder. And yet what are we building our lives with? Are we just finding the easiest way, the easiest path? Right? Because selfishness is easy, and pleasing myself is easy, and living for today is easy. Putting others first is hard. Living for eternity is hard. Self-sacrifice is hard. Self-denial is hard. These things are hard. The Jesus way is sometimes more difficult. But what are we building our lives with? Are we going to take just the easiest way all the time? Or are we willing to sacrifice? Are we willing to work hard? Are we willing to deny ourselves? Are we willing to pick up a cross? Are we willing to choose the harder route? Not for the sake of it, but if the harder route is the right path. Are we willing to do the harder thing in order to go the way that we should go? And in terms of what we're building with, two, the two different sides are awfully, there's a very different sense of value, right? Would you rather have a pound of hay or a pound of gold? And the gold's harder to get, but it's more valuable. It's more precious. And so let's build our lives with those heavenly things, those heavenly values, doing it heaven's way, heaven's commandments, heaven's priorities. As we do that, we are building something that will last. Jesus shakes up our perspective in Matthew chapter 6, 19. He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where the moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's getting us to look eternally. Saying, don't just focus on the here and now. Don't just focus on what you have now. What we have now can spoil, and even if it doesn't spoil, it's still temporary. 
but build up for yourself treasures in heaven. Choose heaven's way. Make heavenly choices. Use heaven's priorities. Do things Jesus' way, and you will have treasure in heaven, and heaven will be a lot longer than however long we live on this earth. Live for eternity in what we're doing with our lives. And it all gets tied into this idea of reward and loss as the passage wraps up in verse 14. If what has been built, if what your life represents survives the fire, the builder will receive a reward. If you have lived heaven's way, if you've chosen the Jesus path, if you have done the things that God calls us to do, then there will be reward involved. And that doesn't have to be the only motivation to do it, but the Bible talks a lot about reward in heaven, and I don't know why it would if we weren't supposed to know that and have that influence us in some way. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though as only one escaping through the flames. And so, again, this verse removes any idea that we're saved because of what we do, because what we do is just going to get put to fire anyway. And says, even if we haven't done it, and your, your life's legacy just goes up in smoke because we didn't build with heavenly things the way that we should have, you'll still be saved but you're just going to maybe smell a bit like smoke when you get to heaven, apparently. Like you'll skirt in, basically. And the implication is no reward. Your reward is you're still going to heaven because you've grabbed a hold of Jesus. And so there's, again, a picture of judgment, which I know is not always fun to talk about. But uh, that's what we wanted to do in this series because we felt like we don't talk about it enough. And so whatever we build our lives to be, whatever legacy we present to the Lord on our day of judgment, the fire will come to test it. And are we building something that will survive that? Or are we building with something that will just go up like that because we didn't live the way that he wanted us to live? We didn't focus on that. And how do we know, right? If we're making these decisions, if we're making our choices, if we're choosing our priorities, how do we know if we're living heaven's way? How do we understand that? And there's a lot of different ways to look at it, but just here's one. Jesus talked about make sure we are living for God's praise and not man's praise. Make sure we are living in a way that when we stand before God, he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. And this can be, it's not perfect, but it can just be a good litmus test. As we live our lives, as we make hard choices, as we're deciding what to do with our time, as we're deciding to do what to do with our money, are we living in a way that would receive praise from God when we stand before him? And I know that sounds almost blasphemous because we're supposed to praise him. But scripture says we will receive praise if we're deserving of it. When we stand before him, he will praise us for what we did with our lives if we live the way he wants us to live. So are we living for his praise and not just the praise of man, which just means the way the world does things, the way the culture does things, the way our fellow humans do things, which might not necessarily be God's way. We started this series back in September, uh, September 18th. <clears throat> in some ways, that seems like a long time ago. That was our first two-service Sunday uh, back then. And we started off just talking about this principle, living for eternity, shifting our mindset, taking the long view uh, as we think about where we will spend most of our existence. We spent a week talking about heaven and hell in a sermon called Destinations, talking about what does the Bible actually say about heaven and about hell and how do we get there and how do we uh, be assured of where we are going. We took a week called It's the End of the World as We Know It, talking about the return of Jesus and the signs that he told us to watch for. Uh, in terms of when he will return and what that will look like. And whether we're living in those end times or not, uh, the point of Jesus teaching 
about his return was he was saying, just always be ready because you don't know when the master is going to come back. We took a week called Shifting Motivations, talking about are we living purely for pleasure and comfort and safety today, or are we willing to sacrifice some of that so that we can have treasure in heaven and that we can have our reward show up in a much more permanent way down the road. We took a week to talk about final judgment and what will we be judged on. And what we learned was in the picture that Matthew 25 gives us, the things that we will be judged on are not big, huge, incredible things as much as they are little ways that we bless and help one another in our lives. We took a week last week to talk about suffering and suffering in light of eternity and the suffering in this life that we go through uh, and how either in this life or in eternity, the God of goodness and justice will make these things right uh, because eternity, heaven with him, will be a place where there is no suffering. So we looked at suffering that way. And then we're wrapping it up this week talking about what will last. Are we building something with our lives uh, that will be pleasing to God when we stand before him? If you have any questions about the message or about the series in general, we have an email address, questions at meadowbrook.ca. Uh, would love to hear from you and keep the conversation going, answer any questions that you might have. C.S. Lewis said this, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. That those who were heavenly-minded and had an eternal mindset uh, those are the ones who were motivated to live life here to the fullest. And you would think in some ways it would be opposite, that if you focus on this world, then you would obviously do a lot for this world. But to have an eternal mindset is to say, I want to please God, and I want to live eternally, and I want to have something to offer him that he says well done. That's going to motivate us in this life, to live this out, because we understand that this life is not all that God has to offer. There is more that is available to us. And so, in light of eternity, and this has been our question throughout the series, in light of Christ's return, and we don't know when that's going to be, in light of the fact that this is a temporary life we're living, no matter how long we live, in light of the fact that there is a heaven and there is a hell, in light of the fact that there is a final judgment where we will stand before God and give an account, in light of the fact that there is reward there based on how we live our lives here on earth, and in light of the fact that we will spend most of our existence in eternity. In light of all of those things, what are we doing with our standing with God? Are we right with him and at peace with him? What are we doing with our limited time here on earth? What are we doing with our money? What are we doing with our gifts? What are we doing with our relationships? What are we doing with sharing the gospel? What are we doing with how we treat others? What are we doing with everything that we've been temporarily given? In light of all this, what kind of people are we going to be as we live this out every day. Would you stand with me, please? We're going to close with a little bit of worship, and then we're going to pray uh, as we reflect on these things and as we worship the eternal God who has invited us to eternity with him. Thank you, Lord. And as we live that out, Lord, as we live out this seeking after your will and your ways to follow you, to look like you, to talk like you, to act like you, to love like you, Lord, show us what this means for us. This has not been a light and fluffy series, and yet your word is your word. 
and it comes to encourage us and also to challenge us to live more like you. So lead on, Spirit of God. Lead on in what this means for us. Lead on in what needs to change. Encourage us in what we are doing well and build up your church, Lord, as we build our lives to present to you when we stand before you, as we wish to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Help us to live as you would have us live. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for being here, guys. God bless you. We will see you next Sunday.